0: Section 9 of through East Anglia in a motor car by J. E. Vincent This LibriVox recording is in the public domain chapter 5 of through East Anglia in a motor car by J. E. Vincent spring in Norwich and to Ely and Cambridge part 2 Ask for the Arlem Road when you are near the guildhall was what john ostler said and we full of map and guidebook pride translated it into earlham but we were reduced to arlem at last even in england it is wise to adopt local pronunciations of place names when you know them unless you have plenty of leisure and it is easy to do so in wales it is equally wise indeed wiser for collocations of apparently english characters have totally distinct values in welsh words but english lips have i am given to understand some difficulty in expressing those values apart from place names it seemed to me talking often and freely with the natives that the spread of education has banished not a little of the norfolk dialect and that the country folk of norfolk pronounce in a more clean-cut fashion use more ordinary english words and are easier to understand than their contemporaries in berkshire sussex devon cornwall or infinitely most difficult of all durham among sundry quaint books, lent to me by way of preparation for this, are several containing terrific examples of Norfolk dialect, which it would be a real pleasure to transcribe. But it must be confessed frankly that, at the moment of writing, I have no more excuse in experience for copying them out than for introducing a sentence or two of Welsh, Gaelic, or erse yet i am in the matter of tours to be described many hundreds of miles ahead of the point which my lagging pen has reached suffice it to say that the norfolk dialect may survive that i have heard it from the lips of cultivated folk of norfolk whose normal talk is the same as that of any educated english folk but that it has not come my way as an everyday phenomenon is that matter for regret sentimentally perhaps it is but practically it is a decided convenience and combined with the exceptional intelligence of the east anglian people it seems to argue that the schoolmaster has been abroad among them to good purpose dialects may be picturesque the words in them may have philological interest especially when they are good and old words like largesse much used in east anglia but by no means peculiar to it but persistence in sheer mispronunciation which is the main ingredient of most dialects is really a sign of ignorance or of affectation and neither is to be encouraged. For example, I can talk and can approach fairly near to writing English, as she is spoke, by the more ignorant Welsh, without any difficulty. And that is as much a dialect, really, as that of Devon or of Yorkshire, but it would be a very foolish and inconvenient thing to do nothing could have been more delightful for the time of year than the travelling for the air was not too cold hedges had the unmistakable air of verdure on the point of coming tree twigs seemed to have thickened as the buds upon them swelled spring was in the air and the steaming horses we passed now and again in adjacent fields straining at plough or harrow ADDED TO THE PLEASING EFFECT OF A LANDSCAPE UNDULATING A LITTLE, BUT RICH IN TALL TREES. LOOKING ON THEM FROM TIME TO TIME, I REMEMBERED THE LINES IN THE FREER'S TALE. THE CARTER SMOTE AND CRIED AS HE WERE WOED, HEIGHT Scott, HEIGHT BROCK. THIS MAY SOUND LIKE AFFECTATION, BUT IT IS NOTHING OF THE KIND. Although most travellers in spring are apt to quote, more or less correctly, the first few lines of the Canterbury tales, because they are familiar and because, for simplicity, sweetness, and truth, they are not to be surpassed in the English language, one does not, at least the ordinary man does not, go about the whole country with all Chaucer on the tip of his tongue and that on the whole is a blessing on this occasion however there was an express reason for having these lines in mind there were even two reasons and for looking for a farm horse as an excuse for letting them fly the first reason was that east anglian antiquaries have long cherished the tradition that chaucer was born in norfolk there is even a jingling rhyme lynn had the honour to present the world with geoffrey chaucer and the curled pate de Lena. the rhyme may be true of de Lena. it does not matter much whether it be true or false but it is undoubtedly false about chaucer who was the son of a london vintner and was born at charing cross and at charing cross london not charing cross in norwich as the learned have now discovered for certain still it is a peculiar fact that it is or is reported to be the custom of norfolk farms to apply the name scott to a very large proportion of their farm horses and it is true that chaucer's poetry shows a very intimate knowledge of rural life in norfolk the explanation may be found on family tradition for dr skeet says it is probable that the chaucer family came originally from norfolk the second reason was soon to come on the left-hand side of the road in the form of a park boasting superb trees and ensconcing kimberley hall the seat of the woodhouse family who are of far more ancient standing in norfolk than is the present hall it was built on italian lines in the reign of good queen anne but the woodhouses of whom lord kimberley is the head had been in the land long before philip woodhouse member of parliament for castle rising was created a baronet by james the not that the honour attached the family to the stuart cause for sir thomas the second baronet sat in the long parliament and i think fought for it against charles clearly they were a fighting family agincourt is inscribed under their coat of arms their crest is a dexter arm cooped below the elbow vested argent and grasping a club or and over it the motto frappe fort the quotation comes epicitely or at any rate one striking word in it does because the supporters are two wild wood men wreathed about the loins and holding in the exterior hand a club raised in the attitude of striking sable yet with this explanation always before them staring them hard in the face whensoever a head of the house of kimberley has been summoned to sleep with his fathers some good folk of norfolk have as the notes and queries show been content to puzzle their brains and to seek far for an explanation of the wild man as a tavern sign they have even gone so far as to drag in the historic Peter the Wild Man quite unnecessarily, for he is modern by comparison with the Wood Men who support the Woodhouse crest now, as they supported it, no doubt, in the spacious days of Queen Elizabeth when she visited in 1571 a Kimberley Hall which modern taste would probably prefer to the present Italian edifice almost immediately after passing kimberley hall we came into full view of hingham church which is exactly what a church should be and stands exactly as a church ought to stand for the purposes of the motorist that is to say it is a very commanding edifice which has the appearance at any rate of standing with its length at right angles to the road and both tower and clerestory, surely there are more clerestories as well as more churches to be found in Norfolk than in any county, are visible and very imposing from a great distance. It was built for the most part by Remegius of Heatherset, who was rector for forty years from thirteen nineteen, and is of most remarkable height inside most motorists will be content to believe are some interesting tombs and much stained glass of admirable quality presented by lord woodhouse in eighteen thirteen in fact hingham is emphatically one of the places at which a halt ought to be made for old stained glass of high merit is unhappily very rare in this england of ours this secluded village of hingham ought to be perhaps is one of the places in england to which americans make pilgrimages for far away in massachusetts is another hingham owing its origin to an emigration early in the 17th century of one robert peck vicar of hingham and many of his parishioners apparently parson and parishioners were puritans of the violent order who pulled down the altar rails and lowered the altar insomuch as they incurred the wrath of the reigning bishop parson peck deemed it wise to flee from the wrath to come and many of his parishioners went with him settling down in massachusetts they gave the name of the old village in norfolk to the new home AND ALTHOUGH THE PARSON RETURNED TO HIS CURE WHEN PURITANISM GOT THE UPPER HAND, PARISHIONERS STAYED IN THE NEW WORLD. AT ANY RATE, HINGHAM, MASSACHUSETTS exists TO THIS DAY, NOT, INDEED, AS ONE OF AMERICA'S MAMMOTH CITIES, BUT WITH A POPULATION, IN 1900, OF 5,059 of whom oddly enough more than nine hundred were foreigners in fact in its minor way it is as much more important than hingham in norfolk as boston massachusetts is greater than boston lincolnshire but it is not likely to be more pleasing to the eye and it is very safe to conjecture that in fact it is not a tenth so pleasing as the Norfolk village. Before long, we reach Scoulton mere, a silent sheet of gleaming grey with not a bird to be seen on or over it, a fine expanse of sedge girt water. Here, says Murray, the black headed gull breeds in enormous numbers and their eggs are collected to be sold as plovers' eggs by thousands for the London market this may readily be believed for the eggs of laris ridibundus although they vary a good deal in marking are often practically indistinguishable from those of the green plover or grey plover except that they are not so sharply pointed at the small end the imposture does not matter a straw so long as the two kinds of eggs remain as they are at present identical in point of flavour. Indeed, the subject prompts a digression, flagrantly irrelevant, but certainly pardonable for its practical value. Ten or twelve years ago, the owner of mere, which is situate at about the point where Shropshire and Flintshire are so inextricably mixed that an ordinary atlas will not tell you which is which, Desiring to reduce the number of the coots, spent an afternoon with a friend in taking some two hundred eggs. It seemed a pity to destroy them without trying them cold and hard boiled, like plovers' eggs. They were every whit as good to eat, and they were distinctly the clow of luncheon at Chester Races next day. This is certainly worth knowing, for if plovers be more numerous than coots there are enough coots and to spare and their nests are as easy to find as those of plovers are difficult but murray proceeds there are only three breeding places of this gull in britain this must be quite wrong the late mr henry seabohm whose eggs of british birds published by paunson and brailsford sheffield is both admirably produced and of the highest authority wrote and dr bowdler sharp left the passage in editing the book after mr seabohm's death the black-headed gull is one of our commonest species its colonies are not so large as those of the kittiwake but they are much more numerous it is a resident in the british isles frequenting the coast during winter but retiring inland in summer to breed in colonies and swamps now mr henry seabohm was a mighty ornithologist and the most indefatigable birds nester at home and abroad who ever lived and having read often before and now again all he has to say of the nesting places of all kinds of gulls claimable by great britain i am convinced that this claim set up by murray perhaps on the word of some local fowler cannot be maintained either in relation to the black-headed gull or any other kind of gull or tern that breeds in england leaving scoulton mere behind we were again in a land of flat heaths of wide extent and of sheltering hedges of dense scotch fir it was a country of the most pleasing face but apart from that no use for any purposes save those of the motorist and the rabbit breeder that it had been well used by the latter evidence was soon apparent on the roadside in the form of a gang of men with nets dogs and ferrets pursuing their operations on such a scale and so completely in the open that they must surely have been authorised rabbit-catchers and not poachers still the thought occurred to me that in bygone days and in far distant north wales we always found from the advertisements that ferrets who are the poachers best friends were to be obtained more easily from norfolk than from any other part of the country and that they knew their work very well when they arrived in fact there is a huge head of game in norfolk and where that state of things exists there poachers will be theirs is a lawless pursuit of course but lord as mr pepys would have said what good sport it must be on a shiny night in the season of the year and what a vast and intimate knowledge of animal and bird life these poachers must possess if it was a rabbit-catcher's paradise it was a motorist's paradise also there was no possible danger to human beings for after the rabbit-catchers there were none after the fir hedges had been passed the road became an unfenced ribbon of tawny grey running through the bare heath with no other roads debouching into it and no cover of any sort for a police trap there was no reason in life against a good spin at top speed except that superstitious regard for the letter of the law which not one man in a thousand really has the car simply flew forward the speed indicator marked twenty five thirty thirty five forty forty five and even fifty miles an hour the road seemed to open wide to our advent to stretch out its arms so to speak to embrace us the motion smooth swifter and swifter still even as the flight of the albatross that stirreth not his wings and absolutely free from vibration was in a single word divine suddenly a few miles in front of us a dusty cloud hove in sight over the road there said my friend half in jest but only half for a motorist paradise is at its best when solitary is one of those beastly motor cars what a foul dust it is raising so it turned out on rising and looking back over the cape hood were we not that it mattered for no wayfarers had been passed or therefore powdered for many a short mile i had written a long mile from force of habit but it would have been inappropriate was the other car meeting us or going in the same direction in the same direction surely for though the cloud of dust was coming nearer to us it was not approaching very fast so we determined to pass as soon as might be and giving her a little more gas we were very soon on turns as a racing man would say with a two-seated car going along the middle of the road at a fair pace once twice thrice our horn sounded but the occupants of that car never heard us at last keeping well to the off side of the road and when our bonnet was level with their rear off wheel mr johnson and i gave a simultaneous and stentorian yell and the two pairs of goggles that were turned upon us, who were then, as nearly always, ungoggled, clearly covered four eyes starting with surprise. It was a lesson to them, and to us, of the very poor penetrative power of a motor horn in relation to motor cars in front, and of the necessity of looking behind you now and again, especially if you be in a noisy car so that two-seated car was passed as if it had been standing still and the lot of the dust recipient which one or other must needs endure for a while was transferred from us to them but they were not called upon to endure it nor could they have kept it if they had so desired for any length of time so hay for wotton near which lies wayland wood fondly famous in local story as being the identical wood in which the ill-fated babes in the wood were lost that is a tradition as to the origin and true locality of which so far as i know even the most ardent folklorists have not concerned themselves very seriously and certainly the likeness of sound between wayland and wailing may have caused it to be localised here. As it happens, however, there is a very much simpler explanation of the name of the wood and of the hundred in which it is situated. Wayland is simply the modern representation of the Wainland of Doomsday, and that again is simply descriptive, like Blacklands in Berkshire, and the names of scores of hundreds besides for Wainland is just one land and the more one land than this from the agricultural point of view it would be hard to find islington in norfolk may be in all probability was the place in which the bailiff's daughter lived and was beloved by the squire's son but wayland would Cannot detain us. It has no more claim to this particular honour than a hundred other woods in other parts of the kingdom have, except upon an etymological basis, and that has the trifling disadvantage of being quite wrong. Nor did Wotton detain us any more than it need detain anybody else. Brandon, the next place passed, was renowned in ancient times for its rabbits and its quarries of gunflints and the grimes graves in the vicinity are said to be interesting earthworks the glory of the rabbits remains but the gunflint trade was of course vanished murray it is true says that flints are still in eighteen seventy five exported to arab tribes round the mediterranean but that was more than thirty years ago and mr rye is no doubt correct in saying that the old industry has naturally enough died out of late years but those desert tribes on the african coast of the mediterranean still use some charmingly antique pieces and it may be that brandon flints are still fitted to some of them they were the same kind of flints which the ancient Briton, or perhaps neolithic man used to dig out at brandon for excavations some time since revealed a stag's antler says murray in what was clearly a working of a prehistoric flint quarry thus much the writer tells us and no more it would really have been much more interesting to know something of the nature of the antler but on that point he is silent if one were in a hurry and a train happened to be convenient it would for once be simpler to reach ely from brandon by train than by car for the railway follows the course of the brandon river across Mo fen and then cuts straight across burnt fen and middle fen to ely on the other hand the road dating very likely to a period long before the reclamation of the fens and keeping to the high ground turns south-west by south to mildenhall and then skirting mildenhall fen nearly due west to fordham and soham and from soham northwest to ely and this is a long way round here there would be a first-rate opportunity for saying something of the romantic history of the fens for it is truly romantic and of the real glamour which they exercise upon a traveller through their midst the opportunity is deliberately reserved to a later point for three reasons first there is much to be said on other matters secondly you really do not see very much of the fens by this line of route thirdly it was found later that the drive from lynn to ely is par excellence the occasion upon which the peculiar character of the fens their limitless extent their rich and black soil and the reflection that all this wealth has been reclaimed from the wasting waters by the industry and the enterprise of man the very spirit of the fens in fact enter into the traveller's soul fordham and even soham with its remarkable church and its legends of canute's passage over the long vanished mere upon the ice were passed almost unnoticed for our eyes were fixed upon the horizon in front in longing for the vision often seen from a train of ely cathedral rising in beautiful majesty from the centre of the plain girt isle once fen-girt in which the saxon made almost his last heroic stand against the all-conquering norman truth to tell for this once only the train has the advantage of the motor car in providing a splendid and memorable spectacle approaching ely from cambridge by rail one sees the cathedral and the cathedral is the only object that catches the eye for miles and miles and then miles it is a divine sight stirring up memories of canute and of emma his queen of ravaging william the conqueror concerning whom the saxon chroniclers probably wrote without exaggerated regard for truth and of the heroic figure of hereward the wake memories of this vision often seen never to be forgotten had prepared us for something really great and for prolonged enjoyment of it as a fact and it was one which intelligent study of a contour map might have prepared us for the vision did not break upon our eyes until we were through soham and speeding along the causeway built by herve le breton early in the twelfth century across the mere which stood where the golden corn is reaped and tied and carried every autumn now when it came it was be it stated with the more warmth now in that what is to be written shortly is not entirely the conventional view supremely lovely the air was of that pellucid transparency which is the sure prelude of rain at a distance of four miles or thereabouts the eye could distinguish shades of colour could follow all the delicate tracery of the central octagon and of the huge western tower and it was natural remembering that ely is one of the largest cathedrals in europe to observe that so excellent are its proportions it does not impress the spectator from a distance by its length. This very excellent effort is due doubtless to Alan of Walsingham's fourteenth century design for a grandly broad basis to the octagon tower under which he lies. And here rhapsody must cease at the command of candour. I had visited Ely before as quite a young man i had read much of the history of the cathedral much concerning its architecture yet this time it failed to please as a whole within or without when viewed at close quarters the octagon regarded from a distance of not many hundred feet looked to be wanting in substance rather than possessed of airy grace somehow or other in the perverse fashion which is at once irresistible and fatal to cordial admiration it suggested to my mind a ludicrous comparison resist as i might i continued to think of wedding cakes the western tower so far as it was built by bishop riddle in the twelfth century that is to say up to the level of the calestery of the nave, seemed and was and is proud substantial massive impressive but the decorated superstructure an octagon with turrets alongside did not satisfy at all nor do i believe that it would have been more satisfying even if the slender spire of wood long vanished from its top had survived on me it produced and I found that it has produced on other and more highly cultivated men an impression of flimsy and jarring incongruity. Far other was the effect of looking at the honest red brick of the Bishop's Palace near the west door, for the gently warm tone of the bricks, builded as our forefathers loved in the reign of the first Tudor king, was a joy and a rest to the eye. Before entering the cathedral itself, we took luncheon at the Lamb, for a hungry man is an impatient sightseer. But even after that, to one returning in contented mood, the outside of the western tower satisfied only up to the level of the Calistory. In fact, the original impression, whether it argued crass ineptitude or no, remained and it is better to write oneself down a bore than to invent raptures which would be untrue inside our experiences were unfortunate the ladies had gone before had seen and enjoyed a good deal my friend and i entered with due reverence the vastness of the nave took sazin of us at once but the charm was rudely broken to us approached a verger of immemorial age he had informed the ladies that he had been attached to the cathedral for half a century wearing a velvet skull-cap and saying in strident tones it is a fine cathedral gentlemen have you seen it before yes said i shortly and hoping to be rid of him for to have a babbling guide at one's elbow on occasions of this kind is fatal to intelligent enjoyment but the hope was vain he joined himself to us and went on talking in despair we divided forces and walked briskly away in opposite directions nothing daunted he stood in the middle and talked louder than ever so after admiring the inside of the octagon which is very fine and failing to admire the roof of the nave we left in despair without having studied the architecture in detail without seeing the hammer beams of the transept roofs without lingering over the original norman work in the transepts to us it was a loss and a bitter disappointment but there are some inflictions that are beyond bearing and this doubtless worthy old gentleman was one of them still there are compensations in things and nothing is made quite in vain one of the objects for which this verger was created was that of saving the reader from the infliction of an essay on the architecture of ely cathedral by one who has by his unashamed candour, demonstrated himself unworthy to indite such an essay. The rest of this expedition may be condensed into a paragraph, and that not unduly long. Leaving Ely, we reached Cambridge easily by a flat, straight, excellent, and perfectly uninteresting road, marked in the maps as Roman. But the wise man, for reasons already given, calls no road Roman, until he knows for certain that it is such. There is, however, some evidence for this Roman road. Passing quickly through Cambridge, and over the Gog hills without noticing them, we were soon at Royston, and from that point, to Oxford as it happened, we were beyond my manor two things happened though which may occur any day or night it began to rain hard just after royston and went on raining and we had trouble in lighting the acetylene lamps after aylesbury neither mattered it was something to have an opportunity of testing the cape hood and the acetylene lamps were after all only a reminder that everything does not always go absolutely smoothly even in the best regulated motor cars we got wet of course on the driving seat but that was of no moment for we were homeward bound and as for the appetite that was carried home the face glowing with clean rain the feeling of overflowing health and the dreamless sleep of that night they were well worth a king's ransom. End of Chapter Five, Part Two.